Doc Talk is brought to you by Merck Animal Health. At Merck Animal Health, we're shaping the future of animal health with pioneering science, connected technology, and insights-driven solutions to bring our customers an unparalleled portfolio of choices to improve cattle care and operational efficiency. We support you and your legacy by helping you meet the challenges of today with the innovations of tomorrow. Hey folks, welcome to Doc Talk. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson, and today we're gonna to talk about common feed additives. We're gonna talk about things that help reduce acidosis, that reduce bloat, that uh, suppress estrus, and many more. Thanks for joining me today, and stay tuned. Hey folks, welcome to Doc Talk. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson, and I'm a veterinarian, and I'm a professor at Iowa State University, and also a practicing veterinarian with production animal consultation and travel between Iowa, Kansas, Nebraska, in that general vicinity, working with great people in this industry every day. Um, today, we're gonna to talk about something that's very common, something that we do uh, routinely, that we have premixes, that we have supplements, and sometimes we don't think so much about. But they're, the tools that are there, these non-nutritive feed additives, are there to improve feed efficiency, to promote faster rates of gain, to improve animal health, um, and they do the, that's the primary effects with the secondary effects of reducing acidosis, decreasing coccidiosis, reducing bloat, reducing liver abscesses, suppressing estrus, which all along the way equals a decrease in the cost of production and an increase in, in the revenue uh, and profit potential for each, each animal. Now, as I think about this and break it down, there are different classes of compounds that we use as feed additives. We have antimicrobials or antibiotics. We have ionophores. We have beta agonists, which are for growth promotion. We have estrus suppressants. And we have probiotics and coccidiostats. And a lot of time our ionophores are coccidiostats, so we kind of lump those together. But let's start out by talking about the two most common antibiotics that are used as feed additives, okay? One of them being Tylosin, and the trade name is Thailand, um, or uh, chlorotetracycline, AS700 chlorotetracycline, CTC, okay? Um, we use Tylosin uh, in rations at an extremely low rate in feedlot rations to reduce the prevalence of liver abscesses. And we feed it uh, from eight to 10 grams per ton or to 60 to 90 milligrams per head per day. To feed any of these products, you must have a valid veterinary client patient relationship and a veterinary feed directive, which gives you the directions in which cattle this can be fed and what level uh, and so on. And you have to maintain those records for two years. But with Thailand, we will feed this at a low level every day while cattle are on feed and it has uh, helps prevent or control against the bacteria called Fusobacterium necrophorum. Fusobacterium necrophorum causes three syndromes in cattle, foot rot, diphtheria, and liver abscesses. When we feed Tylosin, uh, it's a macrolide. It's a great tool to to control liver abscessation, which then improves the health and the production of, of the animals. Chlorotetracycline, CTC, is commonly used, can be used to control liver abscesses, but more commonly, it's used as a feed additive to help treat 
uh, bovine respiratory disease. And we can feed this at a certain level. Remember, work with your local veterinarian and you can feed that for five days. If it says five days and it has that dosage rate, that's where we have to feed. Not even a veterinarian can extra label that product. But we can feed that to control uh, respiratory and treat respiratory disease, which then uh, improves cattle health um, without having to run them through the chute. So those are just two examples of antibiotics. When we come back, we'll talk about ionophores. You're watching Doc Talk, and I'm glad you joined us. DNA Dialogue is brought to you by Igenity Beef, powered by Neogen. The good news about DNA is that once an animal's born, it doesn't change. So when I'm often asked, when's the best time to take a TSU sample, my answer is always at your earliest convenience. It's really easy for me on my operation. I take the TSU at birth once that calf is dry, and then I tag the calf right in the same hole that the TSU came out of. Or if it's easier for you, you can do it at weaning, at branding. But the most important thing to know is that it does take time to get those results back. You need to provide ample time to the genetics company so you can get those results back in time to make effective decisions. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson and we're talking about feed additives. Something we do commonly, something that we feed. And one of them that's very common is, is an ionophore. An ionophore is functions um, to alter rumen bacteria uh, to help change them from producing more acetate to producing more propionate. And propionate is a volatile fatty acid that when the animal digests hay or digests corn, they give off either the bacteria, consume the starch or the cellulose, and they use that glucose then to produce microbial crude protein. And the byproduct or the thing that the byproduct of that fermentation is what we call a volatile fatty acid. And there's three main volatile fatty acids, propionate, acetate, butyrate. As we increase the roughage level, we'll have more acetate product produced by the bacteria. As we increase the grain in the ration, we have more propionate. Propionate goes across the rumen wall, goes into the liver, gets slapped together, and we make glucose. And that's what the animal then, the ruminant, uses. We as monogastrics just break it down and absorb glucose as glucose, but since the bacteria break it down first, the ruminant animal absorbs the propionate, which is much more efficient at producing glucose because it's three carbons to make one uh, six carbon of, of glucose versus acetate being three, two carbons, needing three of them to come together. Acetate is more of a precursor for fat. So when we feed an ionophore, we're feeding it so that we get more propionate because it changes the bacterial population in the rumen to producing more propionate, which is more efficient, which then we may not have an increase in intake, but because it's being used more efficiently, we will have an increase or an improvement in our feed conversion, which is, is decrease our cost of producing those animals. Other characteristics of ionophores is it can be somewhat limiting on intake and help stabilize intake day over day with the animals. And so when we see this stabilizing effect, it decreases the number of digestive deaths, decreases acidosis, decreases sequelae like bloat and laminitis um, and things to that nature, which also improve the health of, of our cattle that we, that we feed. Um, ionophores also function 
as a coccidiostat, meaning that they attack Imeria. Imeria is the kind of the fancy name for coccidiosis causing parasites. But when we feed ionophores, such as monensin, uh, at the level of 20 to 30 grams per ton, we will control coccidiosis. And so when you start to think about the importance and the relevance of ionophores, uh, ionophores are not used in human medicine um, or, or used uh, to treat diseases in human medicine. Um, and so there's no uh, concern on the antimicrobial usage or stewardship front. Uh, some people kind of debate that. And I can see both sides of ionophore since it's changing the bacterial population in the rumen. But at the end of the day, I get back to the common sense of what are we going to use it for anyway? It's a great tool. It's something that improves feed efficiency, controls coccidiosis, and, and also decreases digestive uh, insults in, in cattle. So using an ionophore, I would guess there are very few cattle uh, in the country that are raised in a feedlot without an ionophore. Uh, great tool, been around a long time, something we should utilize. When we come back, we're gonna talk about um, estrus suppression and MGA. You're watching Doc Talk, and I'm sure glad that you joined us. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, I'm a professor at Iowa State University in the Department of Animal Science, and I'm also a practicing veterinarian with Production Animal Consultation. I thank Iowa State University for all the opportunities they've provided me, along with Kansas State University, um, to be able to chase my passion, serve people in a unique manner, and still work with students and stakeholders and faculty and, and all the above. So I'm very, very blessed. And anyway, we're talking today, and it's something I teach a lot about, is our feed additives. And the other feed additive that we feed to heifers in feedlots is called melangesterol acetate. You know it as MGA, okay? So what is MGA? MGA is a progesterone analog. And that analog then is absorbed in the body and it is used then as a progesterone type product by, by the heifer. So if the heifer has an ovary that has a corpus luteum or a CL, that CL is producing progesterone. And as long as that's producing progesterone, the animal is not in estrus or in heat, okay? So, as long, but once that CL or that corpus luteum ruptures off of that ovary, progesterone ceases to be produced, the animal then we get estrus and we get estrogen uh, increase, and that animal then is ovulates and exhibits estrus in the pen. And that's when we get riding and mounting and injuries. And if we have increased riding and mounting activity in the pen with the heifers, we have increased injuries and we have decreased efficiency of feed because they're using that energy up uh, as they're, they're displaying these, these sexual behaviors in the pen. So we feed MGA at 0.25 to 0.4 uh, milligrams per head per day. And when we feed that at, at that level, that is enough of a progesterone analog to help that animal maintain and think that it's, it's, it's non-estrous, it suppresses the heat. Um, so we've had some debate in the past and debate recently on the efficacy of, 
of MGA in suppressing heat. And, and as we feed these, these heifers bigger, do we still need to, to feed it? And I think that when you look at the body of literature out there and you look at the meta-analysis today, it's kind of hard to argue not to feed it to suppress estrus in heifers when they're in the feed yard. The only other way to really do it is to have those heifers spayed prior to, to feedlot entry. And it really does not gain you performance to do that. Um, but if you're feeding cattle that can't be fed these types of products in, in different types of programs, then that's what you, that's what you have to do to suppress heat or you have to live with the, the consequences. Um, what, what we have seen in research is that rather than feeding the top level of 0.5, uh, Chris Reinhardt did a, a meta-analysis that showed that feeding at 0.4 milligrams per head per day over thousands of head of cattle was equivalent in suppressing heat and having the improvement in performance. And so that's roughly where most people are at when they're feeding MGA in feed yards. Um, it's a great tool, uh, a great opportunity. Now, one of the things that is up for debate, if you do have pregnant heifers that come into the feed yard and you're going to to uh, abort those heifers so that they don't have an a, a, a birth while the cattle are in the feed yard, um, there are people who believe that we must pull those animals off of MGA because not only does it suppress estrus, but maybe it potentiates pregnancy. Uh, so pull them off of that before we give them a shot of ludolice, uh, before we uh, try to abort those short burn, short bred uh, heifers. So that's MGA. So we've covered antibiotics. We've covered ionophores. We've covered the immuno, um, uh, I'm sorry, the estrus suppressors. We've covered the estrus suppressors. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about beta agonists and, and some dewormers. You're watching Doc Talk, which we're glad you joined us. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson and I'm here in uh, Ames, Iowa at Iowa State University and also uh, out of Kansas where I work with production animal consultation. We're talking about feed additives and we've talked about antibiotics, we've talked about ionophores, we've talked about estrus suppressants. And now we're gonna talk about something that promotes growth directly and that's a beta agonist. Uh, beta agonists have been around uh, for since legal in the US for about a little over 20 years. It was introduced first, we had ractopamine brought on the market. We then had zilpaterol. Um, and now we have, have uh, a new compound that's on the market. It's called, the trade name is Xperior. They're utilized at the end of the feeding period. Beta adrenergic agonists have a direct effect to increase protein synthesis and decrease protein degradation, which means the muscle's gonna grow, okay? We're gonna have an increase in, in the muscle size. They also have an effect uh, by, by causing uh, lipolysis, which means it's gonna decrease the amount of fat or at least decrease lipogenesis or decrease the production of fat. So when we add this at the end of the feeding period, when the animal has the most efficient point in time in feeding of gaining carcass uh, relative to body weight because the head's fully grown, the bones are fully grown, and now we're just laying down carcass, we have an opportunity to accelerate the carcass uh, growth, increasing hot carcass weight, while um, also improving the feed efficiency at the time when the animal is probably the least efficient at converting feed to gain. So, so really, really uh, important products that we use the last 30 days on feed, uh, last 30 to 38 days on feed, depending on which one that you're, you're utilizing. Um, make sure that you work with a nutritionist on making sure you're using it in the right class of cattle, that you're using it at the right time period, the right length. Uh, some products have a withdrawal, some products don't. Just understanding all that, what it's gonna impact you management-wise, 
But if you aren't in a, a specialized program and you're looking for ways to increase pounds of carcass and efficiency of carcass, these are great, great tools. Okay. The last product or last uh, uh, compound I'm going to talk about is an anthelminic or something, a dewormer. Okay. And probably the best dewormer that we have to put in the feed uh, and as a feed additive that if you want to deworm cattle out on the pasture or if you want to deworm them in in a dry lot in a grow yard situation um, you can, is fenbendazole. And fenbendazole is a highly effective dewormer. Um, we use it as a lot of times as a paste. Uh, if you're using a white dewormer and you use Safeguard, that's the trade name. Safeguard is the one that's that comes in the in the feed or comes in a in a drench, and it's utilized uh, routinely in the United States, and it's great for for control. There's a lot of times that we will use um, the feed additive uh, Safeguard or the drench Safeguard in combination with an Ivermec uh, type product, injectable type product or pour on. And the thought process is this, is that when we use the fenbendazole, it'll get 99.9% .9 of the worms that are in the stomach and it gets there first and automatically because it's there in the gut lumen. Then when we, and, and when we give the injectable, it takes a little bit more time to get to the site. It's coming through the tissues in which those parasites might hibernate. And then when it gets to the lumen, it's going to kill 99.9 .9 of the 0.1% that fenbendazole might have left. So if you're thinking about resistant uh, uh, parasites, using the fenbendazole with your Ivomec, um, highly advantageous um, and, and thought process. And there's papers to, to show that it's effective. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. That's a crash course in pharmacology and, and nutrition and feeding, but you can see there's a lot of tools out there that we use on a day in, day out basis that really do decrease our cost and increase the potential of our animals uh, to earn us uh, a living. I appreciate you uh, watching the show. Um, two things. You have to have a VFD when you use antibiotics in the feed uh, or if you use some of these products in combination with antibiotics. So you have to have a VCPR and work with your, your local veterinarian. We do not use any antibiotics in our industries to promote growth. We only use them to prevent, control, and treat diseases. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson. If you want to find us on the web at DocTalk, you can find us at www.doctalktv.com. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson, and I'll see you down the road. At Merck Animal Health, we're shaping the future of animal health with pioneering science, connected technology, and insights-driven solutions to bring our customers an unparalleled portfolio of choices to improve cattle care and operational efficiency. We support you and your legacy by helping you meet the challenges of today with the innovations of tomorrow.